0: EDB has been working quite closely with our digital companies to come up with training programs to make sure we're able to train not only the current group of fresh graduates, but also some of the mid-career workforce that's out in the field uh, that's looking to do a switch. They are looking to pick up new skills. How can we help our workforce build the right skill set so that they are able to take on the jobs? welcome to the going global podcast brought to you by globalization partners hire anyone anywhere quickly and easily use our ai driven automated fully compliant global employment platform powered by our in-house worldwide hr experts with a 98 percent customer satisfaction rating globalization partners succeed faster
1: hello everyone and welcome to another episode of going global The podcast where leaders in high-growth companies tell us their own stories of going global and building global remote teams. I'm your host, Diego Mendiburu, and remember that you can find all episodes of this show on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. On today's show, we're interviewing Jeff Chia, Regional Director of the Americas for the Economic Development Board of Singapore, a government agency that plans and executes strategies to promote businesses and investment firms. Hello, Jeff, and welcome.
0: Hi, Diego. Thank you for having me on today.
1: Well, Jeff, everyone knows that Singapore is one of the best places in the world to do business. You know, according to the latest World Bank annual ratings, Singapore is ranked two among 190 economies in the ease of doing business. What's the story behind that? What's the secret recipe or formula that allowed Singapore to be so high in those rankings?
0: That's a good question. What's the secret recipe? If we were number one, there would be a better recipe to that. (laughs) But that being said, I think there are a few things here. Three points. So one, we try to be as efficient as possible and making business transactions, particularly within the government and companies, as efficient as possible. So it can be as quickly as one day where you can set up a business entity in Singapore. So I think that's one. The second thing is we try to consult companies and businesses as closely as possible Mm. to understand what are their challenges and what are their aspirations. And that's really where my organization comes in. So the Singapore Economic Development Board, as you say, we formulate strategy and we work very closely with businesses and we keep that consistent dialogue with them as a close partner within the country to understand how can we be better at providing the platform for them to operate well in Singapore. So, for example, a company that wants to come in that is not familiar with Singapore, what they can experience is really you know what everyone else already has built up in Singapore. And then as they come into the ecosystem, as we build that partnership, they also help pave the way for new companies to come in as well. I think that's really one of the things that we try to work on very closely with companies to understand those challenges that they have. You know, for example, in manufacturing, it might be, you know, land space. It might be utilities. And then if it's, you know, services and what else, it might be a labor issue. And we try to work on those problems. And then the last one is really government to government. And this is where we try to make free trade a key priority for Singapore. Singapore has over 70 to 80 free trade agreements with most of the major economies around the world. And the thing that I guess is a bit newer over the last few years is also digital economy agreements. And this is something that we are trying to work exclusively with our partners on as well. So if you see those three elements, I think that's really what we have been striving towards. And it's a constant work in progress. I think the work is never done. So we have to keep working because challenges, they always appear. So we have to work on what's new and then try to face the new problems.
1: I find really interesting that second point you mentioned about how pretty much you capture best practices from other businesses that have already established themselves in the region. So I was just wondering how open businesses are or people starting to do business in Singapore. How open are they to share their experience? How do you promote this openness. Sometimes people don't want to share their struggles and apparently you are able to do that. Please tell us more about that.
0: Absolutely right. It's a lot to do with trust. It's mm. a lot to do with partnership, relationship. It's no no different from any other relationship. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes work. And I guess married people will say the same thing as well, right? You have to work on that relationship with your partner. And that's what we do as our organization. So in fact, EDB is older than Singapore itself. And we have gone through this journey of working with companies for a very long time. And when new companies come in, I think there's two things. So one, they can see the confidence that, you know, has been built up with previous companies. And the other part is, you know, we walk through the journey with them together. So it does take some time. We work together with them. And hopefully we get to a point where we have a very close partnership with a company and we can work through some of their problems, even through
1: challenging times. That's amazing. So please tell us what industries drive the economy of Singapore. I guess we will be talking a lot about technology companies, but, you know, overall, what's the, the overall picture of what, industries have a like you know like a strong presence in Singapore. Maybe I can ask
0: you a question, Mac. What do you think
1: are the industries that drive Singapore's economy? Obviously I did my research and I know that it's a hub for a lot of tech companies that can you know, take advantage of these ease to do business to establish their central offices in order to cover the whole region of Southeast Asia. So I guess, you know, mainly technology companies, but that's pretty much my question. Maybe there are other industries that are not as visible, you know, as the Googles, the IBMs, the Microsoft but also have a strong presence in Singapore. You tell me. Yep. Singapore, I think
0: this is the part that may be surprising to most people. Manufacturing actually is the largest contributor to Singapore's uh, GDP. It's approximately go. between 20 to 25%. And that's really actually our key sector that's been taking place in Singapore. But that has changed over time. Since the early 60s, it was really low-value direct labor kind of manufacturing. And if you see Singapore today, it's quite different. We do more high-value-added manufacturing activities. The likes of your semiconductors, energy and chemicals, biomedical, medical devices, aerospace, precision engineering. This really is where we have been working very closely on and continue to keep actually a very strong focus on. I think the other part of it, the services and the digital industry, And that part has been growing since the 80s. Like you mentioned on your Googles, your IBMs, some of them have been in Singapore longer. And we have seen, obviously, in more recent years, a much larger wave of technology companies come into Singapore. The last portion, which I think it's still a big work in progress, but we have seen good growth in the last few years, is more of the local innovation piece. We're starting to see more unicorns and local startups in Singapore, the likes of Grab, C Group. We have over 1,000 startups in Singapore, and this ecosystem is starting to grow, a local innovation ecosystem. So there are three things. One is definitely the manufacturing sector. Two is the digital and services side, and we're starting to see the last one, which is the innovation side of the house, which is more local and homegrown.
1: I guess there's a relation between you know the big international technology firms establishing in Singapore and this entrepreneurial boom or this entrepreneurship ecosystem that you're telling us is starting to grow exponentially. So, so what's the relation between those two? I would imagine that a lot of the talent that these international companies like Google, Microsoft, IBM, all all others are creating, eventually decides to start building their own businesses in Singapore. But you tell us.
0: You're right. That is a relationship. It has taken some time. I don't think we can deny that. But it has formed where it's a growing tech hub. Although we are very proud of our local high-growth companies, it's a whole overall ecosystem. And we're happy that Singapore is a digital hub within Southeast Asia that's attracting bright minds and talents. So this ecosystem has looked to build it. It's about building capabilities in Singapore that can continue to serve and grow this industry. So what we have seen over the years is companies, I mean, in building up talent, and that has sprouted to not just multinational corporations, but also to a local innovative digital ecosystem as
1: well. Let's talk more about talent because I found this piece of information, which was quite striking uh, for me, you know, like apparently there's some sort of a shortage of talent right now in Singapore. I read that Singapore's information communication sector would need another 60,000 professionals over the next three years, but education system is producing only 2,000. 800 Infocom graduates each year. So what's happening with talent? I mean, we're seeing like this hyper-connectivity. So I would imagine that a lot of young people are fully digital right now in Singapore. But is there enough people like that in Singapore for these big companies to hire?
0: I think we can look at it in a few ways. So one, I think the tech industry is growing so quickly, right? Which is why we are seeing this huge gap, yes. this huge leap right? In terms of the number of jobs needed. So that's a good thing, right? There's a very healthy, sustainable, high growth industry that's able to create a lot of good jobs. You're right in saying that, you know, the current education system is strapped in terms of the number of graduates that comes up per year. I think that's a problem that comes in a few factors. One, Singapore is not a very big country. <laughs> so obviously, population size is smaller. And obviously, not everyone will go into the digital sector, right? Like I mentioned, manufacturing continues to be very big and that will take up talent as well. Now, that being said, we are opening up more spaces in the university courses so that we can have more people educated in computer science and digital skills. That's one. Beyond that, and I think this is the part where we recognize that talent is not a quick fix right? We have to take time to build it. And there have to be a few ways for us to work around these problems. One of them is working very closely with companies. Like we mentioned, like I mentioned, it's understanding a company's pain points and how can we go about building up the ecosystem and the infrastructure to help them be successful. Uh, And this is where EDB has been working quite closely with our digital companies, come up with training programs to make sure we're able to train not only the current group, of fresh graduates, but also some of the mid-career workforce that's out in the field that's looking to you know do a switch. They are looking to pick up new skills. How can we help our workforce build the right skill set so that they are able to take on the job? So as some industries fade as and other industries become more prominent, we how can we help People do a bit of a migration as well. So if you look at it, it's the fresh grads that's opening up one pool. It's the current career professionals that want to make a shift in their career choices. How can we help them get the right skills to pivot as well? And the last question is obviously we are an open economy and we continue to want to allow foreign talent come into Singapore to work very closely with our local core and build a world-class team out of Singapore. Yeah. So these are really the three functions that we, you know, three pipelines, I would say, that we will look at to support growth in uh, talent.
1: That second point, again, I find it super interesting because I pretty much made that question in another episode of the podcast to a recruitment expert. And I told him whose responsibility will be, or it is, to retrain people. We're talking about, you know, the future of work and the skills required to understand and create new technologies, AI, automation, robots, things like that. And whose responsibility it is, you know, is it the government that has to change all their education plans, you know, from the very first moment someone starts studying? Is it the private sector on its own that has to retrain their own employees? And I find very interesting what you're saying. You see, if I understand correctly, the government is taking the initiative and working with the private sector so they can re-educate and teach new skills to a large group of workers that could be out of a job if they don't retrain themselves and learn these new skills, right?
0: No, so I think one thing is very interesting is that actually, you know, in the workforce, they actually have a a good number of people who may have a basic skill set. So let's say they started off in computer science, right? Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, halfway along their careers, they have found another job opportunity that has led them to a different field and, you know, with a better career prospect. Not every job lasts forever. I think we have to be completely honest about that. And sometimes things change. So what happens when you do have a base skill set, right? And now you're looking, say, well, the digital side of the house is really, really prospering. I want to have a job opportunity there. Mm. How can I move there, right? Although you know, sometimes we may say, you know, the CVs are not as fantastic. If you like it to be. How can we then help these people to make a pivot as well? And I think that's where we're looking at it, right? Is that, no, we actually do have good talent around. How do we get them to catch up within a more compressed period of time so that they can move and pivot into a new field? I think that's what we're trying to
1: do. Do you have a name for that program? Because I found that you have at least two (laughs) programs. One is called Skills Future and another one is Tech Pass. Can you explain more about those two programs?
0: I think, uh, well, <laughs> there are a few different things. So I'd like to share with you a few of the company programs that have been out well there in the Singapore newspaper. So one is the Google Skills Ignition program that we're working with Google. They have announced that they'll train up to 3,000 local entry-level and mid-career job seekers in digital marketing and cloud technology. So this is a program that we've come up with Google to try to train the, the workforce. IBM. Has an IAM vitalized program as well in Singapore. It's a six-month skills training program for mid-career professionals uh, in AI and cybersecurity. They're looking to train about 800 people. And then the programs that you have mentioned on uh, TechPass and Skills Future. I think Skills Future is a whole of government initiative. So this is something that's come out from our workforce development group. They are part of the Singapore Skills Future Organization. Their job really is to highlight skills and this is beyond tech, right? It's for most industries. And it's try to help our citizens, MPRs, to know what are the skill sets needed for each career or each job role. And I think this stuff gives people a target, right? Okay, if I wanna be, you know, an engineer, I need this, you know, sort of skill set or certification if I wanna be hired. And then we work together with uh, certified programs to get them onto that list as well so that people have a one stop shop to say, okay, I need this skill set. Where can I go and do that course to, you know, level up? And at the same time, what the government has also done is also put some money into that program as well. So every citizen started off with $500 of skills future credits and you can use that as a subsidy to learn any course. And I believe that's a top up midway through where you get another 500. Well, that doesn't last forever. Well. I think it, it expires in 2025, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's our way to say, how can we help you, you know, go and learn new skills? It's a lifelong learning process.
1: No, oh, that's super interesting because whenever we talk about, you know, economic development agencies, we think, oh, they only support the private sector. But maybe we're entering a new era where we have a clearer vision of the future, where economical growth will be impossible without... A highly skilled society that knows how to handle, develop, and create the new technologies that will be, the, you know, the trademark of our future, pretty
0: much. Right on <laughs> the second portion, where we definitely need more digital skills. This is something that Singapore really is trying to push out. It's almost like uh, learning English to some extent. To be able to function in the future, we have to have some form of basic. Digital literacy, and I guess this is something that you know we recognise is very important, and it's something that we are working towards. It's not easy, it's not simple. The challenge has always been, you know, for the older generation, how can we help them to make sure that they are not left behind as well? I think that's what's more important for us is that no one's left behind, uh, and it's a work in progress, I must say. So it's something that we think is very important, and it's something that we continuously work at to make sure that everyone has an opportunity, everyone is also being built up so that they have a chance to to operate in the future as well.
1: And I imagine, you know, obviously the pandemic and all the remote work revolution or standardization has changed a lot of industries. How has it changed the way businesses and industries establish themselves in Singapore? How has it changed your plans at EDB. What new future will come out of this standardization of remote work from what you've seen already?
0: I think this is very interesting because, well, the pandemic's not over yet, yeah. right? So it's still around. We're still trying to find what is the new normal. You know, in the U.S., where I'm based, we're, we're starting to see things open up. We're seeing people try to go back to normalcy. We're starting to see uh, people meet in person. But I think There's the luxury of population that is highly vaccinated in the US as well for us to enjoy this year. So it's still being formed. The world is not, and not everyone's running at the same pace. And in Singapore, we are trying to be vaccinated quite quickly. And we are still seeing companies adjust to what a new norm may be with the pandemic. How does EDB change through the pandemic? I don't think we have changed much, apart from us working from home a bit more, like everyone else because of uh, uh, health and safety concerns. But our mission still remains the same. We recognise that it's important for us to continue to attract business activity to Singapore. And at the same time, there are a lot of factors why companies want to be in Singapore. You know, The good government relationship with, with what we have with our existing partners, stability in terms of policy from a government standpoint, as well as good talent. And we continue to work very hard at building up good talent as well. And depending on your industry, there could be other reasons why it's very important to be in Singapore. So we continuously work at the factors that make Singapore a good and attractive location for companies to want to base themselves on.
1: We're reaching the end of the conversation, but of course, I have to ask you your Top three tips for people and businesses willing to start doing business in Singapore. Where should they start?
0: Just go to the EDB website. I think especially if you're a foreign company, that's what my organization is here for. Go to the EDB website. There's news on the latest happenings in terms of investments in Singapore. We've also built a customer concierge page, which makes it very easy for new businesses to find the right contacts uh, when it comes to helping set up an entity in singapore so we've tried to help you know make it a a one-stop shop for businesses to be able to find the right resources quite quickly and then well the last one is we actually have global offices around the world so like myself i'm based in houston texas we have four offices in the us Uh, we have also offices in europe and in china and in southeast asia uh, (laughs) and different parts of the world and there are my colleagues in these offices as well And our job is really to engage with new businesses that do not know about Singapore and help them understand the landscape, understand their challenges and objectives and see how we can work together to help them set up operations in Singapore. So yeah, find one of us. We are all very happy to work with a company to see how we can help them through their journey and growing their businesses in Southeast Asia and Singapore.
1: Just to end up on a personal note, what is the thing you like the most about your job?
0: I think what's most exciting for me is that I'm always in very interesting conversations with companies and it can be an R&D topic, it can be a manufacturing topic, it can be a you know, HR topic. And sometimes, a lot of times we're talking about new technologies in their respective industries and seeing how is it possible to you know Use Singapore as a base where we can help develop that capability, that product, and help market it out to, Singapore, to the rest of the world, not just Singapore, right? So I think it's always interesting because I'm, the, the conversations are always fresh and new, and we get to see something that's a bit ahead of the horizon, and then that's always exciting.
1: You've already said it, but, but if people want to contact you directly, they have the EDB website, but is there another way to be in touch with you?
0: Yeah, so uh, for myself, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. We also have an EDB page on LinkedIn and an EDB Instagram page as well. So you, if you want to just follow us and keep in contact, you know, you can like and follow those pages. And yeah, that's it. You know, you can, or you can call the Houston office. If you want to reach me directly, (laughs) you can always call the Houston office. My contact information is on the DB website as well. So you can always reach out.
1: Thank you very much, Jeff, for this conversation. It has been really fun talking to you. And I love learning about how, you know, complex it is, the, the landscape of the future of businesses and how much governments have to be involved in order to create a new generation of highly skilled people that can truly harness, you know, this industrial, new industrial revolution we're living that involves not only remote work, but learning about new technologies, you know, like AI, automation, robotics. So it's been great talking to you. Thank you, Jeff.
0: Thanks so much, Diego. Thank you for having me on today.
1: And that's it. This is the end of our show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Remember that you can find all past episodes on Spotify, Google, and Apple podcasts. If you were
0: planning to hire a new global team member, Globalization Partners makes it easy to onboard international talent in a matter of minutes. Go to globalization-partners.com to get started.